Good morning. Good. There you go. <laughs> it says here you're supposed to say I hi. Know. Yeah. Hi. Yeah, there you go. There it is. Um, <laughs> hello again. Uh, again, my name is Reagan. This is Scott, my lesser half. And um, that's awesome. And uh, we're glad that we are uh, actually wrapping up our series, United We Love, because in case you didn't know, uh, Lent starts on Wednesday. So you've got a few more Woo, days Lent. to do all yes. the things that you shouldn't be doing. Um, Consider <laughs> your mortality. Lent. Um, Yes. Well, we'll talk about Lent stuff at the end, but I'm really, really excited about our Lent series and different things we're going to be doing. Um, but we've really enjoyed this United We Love series, and we're yeah. excited to wrap it up with a story that um, pro- maybe some of you may know part of it, but some of it is kind of glanced over, but there's some, some important stuff in that, so we're excited to to be preaching about that today. Absolutely. All right, so without any further ado, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11 this morning. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11. Uh, and, and just before we uh, pray and, and read our scripture this morning, um, the book of Acts is, uh, we talked about this um, uh, some, I think, last week. Uh, it is the sequel uh, to the Gospel of Luke, right? It's, it's Luke part two. Uh, and it tells the story of the early church, the Acts of the Apostles. So it's the, trying to tell the story of the early church. And it is written in a time um, after the fact. So it's not being written down as it's happening. This was written in about the year 72 or shortly thereafter, A.D., uh, when the temple had fallen in Jerusalem. And, of course, the temple was the unifying thing in the Jewish faith. It is where all of their identity and, and, and spiritual lives uh, were centered. And so when the temple fell, there was a great crisis in the Jewish uh, faith of who are we, where are we going, what do we believe, right? And so um, in that time, there, was, there had been this growing Jesus movement within Judaism, which is the story of the Acts of the Apostles. It's telling the story of this growing Jesus movement. And they're trying to make the case by writing this story as to why this is uh, the natural progression of the Jewish faith. They're having a de- denominational debate, right? Does this sound familiar to us today, United Methodists, right? Um, they're trying to decide which way do we go? Who are we? Where is God leading us? That's why this book was written. It was written about 20 years or so after these things take place, 20, 30, 40 years after these events take place, and it's making the case of this is a God-inspired movement about Jesus. This is who the Jewish people should be. And of course, they don't win that debate in the Jewish tradition, and that's when Christianity officially sort of breaks off and becomes its own thing. Until that point, it was a Jewish reform movement, yeah? So uh, with that in mind, I just don't want to ever assume that anybody in the room knows what the book of Acts is. So that's, that, that helps you understand the book that we're reading this morning. This comes in the latter half of that book, uh, and it's going to follow uh, two people that you need to know their names, Paul and Silas. Paul is like the uh, first uh, uh, church consultant right? Um, that, that's essentially his job. He goes around and he's, and he's planting churches and he's consulting with these new Christian communities. And, and, that's, and he's the one that ends up writing a lot of the letters that we have in the New Testament as well. Um, and so that's who Paul is. And they're going to be traveling and meeting a couple of people that we're going to talk about today. So with all that in mind, let's, um, Reagan, would you pray for our scripture this morning? Um, and uh, we pray before we read Scripture and Thrive and at Lover's Lane because we believe that it's a living text and the Holy Spirit helps it come alive for us when we read it. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for um, the word today and the way that um, we can learn so much from it and kind of see where did we come from? How did we get to this place? Um, and also kind of figure out where we should go from here. Um, 
We know that your, your spirit continues to move and to change and that we shouldn't disregard what happens at, within these pages. Um, so would this story um, challenge us, maybe uh, teach us something, and um, just inspire us to, to go and tell more people about who you are? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so beginning in verse 11, it says this, We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. Oh, I thought you were pointing out that I was reading the wrong thing. Nope. I think this is right. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, meaning the, the Yahweh, the God of the Jewish people, our God, was listening to us. Lydia was listening to us. She was from the city of Theatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. So this is where we're going to stop for now. We're going to read another story here in a moment. Um, so let's understand who this Lydia is. This is the story of Lydia, the seller of fine purple cloth. And she's an important figure, even though her story is brief. Um, Lydia is a Gentile. She's not Jewish, although she is, um, a, 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 you know... A, kind of Jewish, right? She, she fears God. She, she believes in God. She's a part of this prayer and, and Sabbath group that meets at the river, but um, she's a Gentile woman. She's from the Roman uh, Empire. She's not Jewish by birth. She's not been formally brought into the Jewish fold. She's just trying to live by this Jewish way of life, and she's a seller of purple cloth which means uh, in those days, purple was a very difficult color of dye to procure, which made it expensive. And so purple cloth was something that wealthy people would frequently wear to make everyone know, hey, look at how much money I have. I can own purple clothes, right? Yeah. Um, and so being a seller of purple cloth meant that she was uh, a very uh, lucrative merchant, right? It, it would be easy to imagine that she was a wealthy woman. Uh, it says that she is the owner of her home, right? Come and stay at my home. Home. She doesn't say, come and stay at my husband's home, my family's home, my master's home. Come and stay at my home, right? That's a big deal. Lydia is one of few women in these days that would have had her own means, her own income, her own business, uh, her own household. It says that her household was baptized, right? So this is a woman of influence. This is a woman of, of, of wealth. Um, and this is a woman who is not uh, in the Jewish fold yet. So this is an important person for the book of Acts to say, hey, she was included in the story. Look at how God's Spirit goes and finds this person. She's going to be highly influential in the, Philippi, in the city of Philippi, right? People know who Lydia is. She gets named in the Bible. Not everybody gets named. In just a moment, we're going to read about a jailer. That's all he's known as, the jailer. Jailer doesn't get a name, but Lydia gets a name. It's almost as though Luke writing this Maybe Lydia was even known. Oh, Lydia's fine purple cloths. Haven't you heard? They're the best brand in the market right now. Lydia, you know Lydia from Theatira, right? This is a, an important person that God's Spirit is moving in. Yeah. I was just thinking, I'm glad 
Dee Dee didn't live then because if purple was hard to come by, yeah. she wouldn't have purple hair. <laughs> that would, that would be, or, or people would be like, whoa, Dee Dee's doing well, right? Yeah. yeah. Look at that, purple hair. <laughs> um, okay. By the way, Dee Dee, Andy's new favorite color, she told us, is now purple. So you, you are yeah. winning, I guess. Yes. Yeah, it's no longer green. Purple is the new purple, favorite color. New favorite. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, Scott kind of touched on this. So, um, you know, Jews and Gentiles, they had a lot of, Jews had a lot of rules and laws and things that they had to abide by. Um, and so mixing with those that were not Jewish, that didn't follow customs, was always a little, you know, Especially Gentile women. A Jewish yes. man would not have been allowed to speak to a Gentile woman. Yeah. So right, already you're kind of like, huh, they're kind of crossing some boundaries. And um, I love that um, Paul in this story, you know, he sees these group of women, which would have been easy, have probably been passed by a million times. Like, oh, it's just a group of women. Let's move on. There's nothing important here. There's nothing good that can come here. Um, and I love that Paul steps forward because the God moves him. Um, to see that there is maybe some potential here that, hey, I'm, I'm here to tell as many people about Jesus, and I'm not going to have any, like, well, they need to have this qualification, or they need to have this. Um, and so they're already crossing some boundaries, and, you know, Lydia's house doesn't come to faith um, through circumcision, which was the old way. They're coming um, through baptism, and the fact that she invites him into her home, again, if you remember a few weeks ago, um, I preached on the centurion. It was an amazing sermon. You should go listen to it. Um, but, you know, he, uh, the centurion didn't want Jesus to come into his home because he knew um, having a Jewish person come into the home, there may be, there'd be a mix of clean versus unclean. And so he felt like, I'm not worthy. Please don't come into my house. Um, and so there, you see Lydia reaching out, crossing boundaries and, and, and all of that too. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of gender dynamic flipping uh, at work in this brief story, because in those days, to have a synagogue, you had to have 10 Jewish males form a synagogue. That's, that's, that's all that was required to form a synagogue. So the fact that Philippi doesn't have that means that there's not even 10 Jewish males living in Philippi to form that church. And so these women are meeting by the river out of necessity. There is no synagogue for them to go to because there are no male leaders, right? And then when, um, when Paul even approaches them, he's crossing those gender boundaries, right? And then when Lydia leads her household, anybody who's Jewish is reading this, they're hearing the echoes of Abraham, right? Because when you were converted into the Jewish faith in the Abrahamic tradition, in the covenant that Jews have been following for hundreds, if not thousands of years, right? It's that the, the, the head male of the house would be converted and then would have all of the males in his house be circumcised as well. Doesn't matter how old you are. Have fun with that, right? Um, <laughs> and so Lydia is the one who's converted and she has all of the members of her household, not just the men, but all of them, meaning women included, are baptized in the faith, right? Circumcision's not even a part of it, right? So you're having a lot of, there, there's a lot of tension here of the old covenantal order and the, and the, the male high hierarchy of the way things are done, coming up to this circle of women gathered at a river, Lydia and her household are baptized, right? And then Lydia invites them into her home. Like, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's impressive how much is, is put in just this small amount of verses. Right. Um, every time you say down by the river, I want to say in a van, down by the river. <laughs> so um, so th- why this, por- this story is really important, especially to, to females, is that this is a case that Lydia is a leader in the church. Like, she is empowered to teach. She is empowered to preach. She is empowered to do all these things. And you think, wait, this is Paul. 
Paul's, isn't Paul the dude who said women should be silent in church? Um, and yes, but the, again, that was a specific case. But we, we see Lydia um, empowered to do this. And I don't think, um, you know, I always try to think about what happens after a story, you know, what's not in the pages. And I think, I don't think Paul said, okay, we're going to send a man now, Lydia. You've had your time. I'm going to send a man, and he's going to start leading. No, I think Lydia, he had every confidence that Lydia was going to lead this group now. Um, and I love this passage, obviously, because it gives me some am- ammo for people that say, you know, women shouldn't teach. And then if you say, well, what about Lydia or Phoebe or whatever? And they're like, I don't know who that is. I'm like, exactly. You should read your Bible. Um, <laughs> and, That's a good word. And also, I just want to be like, you know what? Fine. Those... That those other women, yeah, they should be silent. But I know some so, men so, sorry, that so, need to be silent in church. For sure. Just gonna say that. Whoa. <laughs> Getting hot. I just want to be clear for folks that don't know what she's referring to when she talks about Paul telling women to be silent. There's a, there's in in one of his letters, he's writing to a church where there's a group of women who have essentially staged a coup takeover and are using their sexuality to 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 run this church in a way that is not godly mm-hmm. and not biblical and certainly not Jesus oriented. Right. And so he's talking to that church saying these women are a problem in your church and then from that line we've gotten a couple thousand years of women don't talk in church. Right? Yeah. And 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 then the Bible also has I know. I know. It's fine. But anyway. I'm sorry on behalf of all men. I'm sorry. <laughs> So um, this, is, this is an important text to put in your, you know, put in your memory and, and know um, when you're teaching and you're talking to people like, you know, God uses whomever, okay? Like God can use anyone. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, anything. And it's, and it's biblical. <laughs> and it's biblical. It's there in the Bible. So when, when people, people say, well, the Bible says, well, the Bible says what that Lydia was say? used. So yeah. 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 Anyway. You need to go on because I'll just. You're good. You're good. I like it. I, I like it. I like the passion. This is good. So I think um, in, in this story of Lydia, it, the, the, what I hear the Spirit say in this this morning to in this past week as we were looking at this text is when we assume we know what faithfulness looks like, we often overlook the Spirit in our midst. Right. That was true for the church type folk at the time who would have walked right past. Uh, the churchy folks would have walked right past Lydia and, and this gathering of women and thought, what is that? That's not a church. Mm-hmm. you got to have ten guys to have a church. What is that? That's just a prayer circle at a river, right? But, but Paul stayed awake. He noticed the Spirit was moving, and he leaned in. And then today, when we think we have an understanding of the Bible and, and who's allowed to do what and who's in and who's out, uh, frequently we're overlooking at the ways in which the Spirit is working, right? How often do we overlook the story of Lydia because, oh, wasn't she the one that sold purple cloth? No, she was the one who, who Paul essentially founded the church in Philippi on, right? Like that, that's the story. We miss that. So uh, we keep moving, and we're, we're going we're gonna to skip a little bit of the story. What happens next is uh, Paul and Silas are going about in, in Philippi trying to share the gospel, and there's this woman who's a soothsayer, which is like a psychic-type person um, who is also possessed uh, by a demon uh, who's following them around and, like, yelling stuff behind them, and Paul gets annoyed and performs an exorcism, right? So the next time you get annoyed at someone and, like, in the office, just like, in the name of Jesus! you know, out of you, right? You know, and, and then you'll probably and then pack go to, your bags. You'll probably go yeah, to the HR yeah, department yeah, very fine. soon. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. That's bad. That's bad life pro tip right there. Um, Maybe on your toddler, try that. I so, don't know. so <laughs> oh man, yeah, there's, yeah, we've needed some holy water. Um, 
So, so Paul exercises this demon in the, in the name of Jesus. All he says is just, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. And the demon leaves her. And, and so then, all of a sudden, she's no longer got these, like, supernatural powers. And there were these, uh, these guys, these managers of hers that were basically using her as a money-making mechanism. Right. They were profiting, profiting off of her. So they're ticked, right? You just cost us uh, our, our golden goose. And so they drag Paul and Silas up in front of essentially what is the civil court system at the time, the, the, the local magistrates. Uh, for, for a civil claims court, basically. And, they, and, and they'd say, hey, these guys are, uh, are, are causing trouble. And not only that, they get into this anti-Semitic stuff. They say they're, they are trying to uh, you know, undermine our culture, and they're Jewish, right? Um, uh, Anti-Semitism was rampant in parts of the Roman Empire. And the magistrates say, oh, oh okay, so these, you know, these Jews are causing trouble. We'll, we'll, let's beat them up. And so they get out rods, no trial, no jury, nothing. They just just get out some, some rods, beat them senseless, and then they put them in prison. And then in a moment of Luke being kind of tongue-in-cheek, they tell the, the prison jailer, uh, by the way, keep them safe, right? As they're uh, in prison, beaten to an inch of their life, they're shackled up in the innermost cell, right? So here's the setup that I want us to, to understand before we read this next scene. They've been beaten up. They're in the innermost cell of this prison. They're shackled up. So do you see kind of the Houdini uh, act that's being set up here by, by Luke? Uh, they're not in one of the outer cells because then uh, if they were to escape, you could make the claim, oh, well, they had some buddies that came in and knocked a wall down or something, and that's how they got out. No, they're on the innermost cell, and they're shackled, and let's see what God is going to do next, right? So um, we read beginning. Oh, sorry. I flipped it. You're good. What are we? Oh, oh, oh. You, you read, beginning of oh, verse. that's me. That's you. Yep. Sorry. You're blue. I'm red. Okay. Chapter right. 16, verse 25. I picked the verses that didn't have weird names of places because they're too hard to say. So <laughs> that's how we choose. Thank you for that. Yes. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for light, and rushing in, he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. Man. Okay. It's good stuff. So, um, a lot happens. <laughs> Again, what Scott said, you know, they're in the innermost cell. You know, keep in mind the awful have been beaten. Like, they have wounds. They're not exactly strong. So it's, again, showing, like, they could not have escaped um, from their own doing. And so all the doors are open. Um, and this is really important because I think, again, going with the Jews and Gentiles, you know, looking at Lydia, looking at the jail, or looking at all of that, um, that God, um, there's a wideness to God's mercy, right? That God wants to invite all um, all the prisoners were released, all of them. We don't know the story of the other prisoners. Mm. We don't know what they did. We don't know who they are, and yet God is um, 
open to saving them. And I love that. Again, it's such a small line, but it's something we miss. Um, and I think it's important to realize um, that God is not going for, you know, a certain type of person specific, but like God's mercy, grace, love, forgiveness is, is for everyone. Um, and so I think that's a really, really important um, detail. And I also love, you know, at first, um, I don't know if, well, I'll let you say about the jailer a little bit, but I love that the jailer, um, you know, when Paul and Silas first are thrown in, you know, they, they've beaten, they're, they've got wounds, and he just doesn't care about them. Um, and then after being converted, he tends to their wounds, he feeds them, there's this change, and it just reminds me of what God does to us um, mm. when we're changed, that we really do become other-oriented, and we become compassionate, and you're not about yourselves. Because at first, when the, where there's the earthquake, he, he just cares about himself. Right. He wants to make sure he's saved. Yeah. Um, but then there's this change. And so then I wonder, what was, what was he like the next day at work? Yeah. How did he care for the new prisoners? I'm sure, I'm sure it was different. Anyway. No, you're good. Okay. He had to start by building a new prison, it sounds like. <laughs> um, they could have used him at, the, they could have used God's spirit at the building off of 75. That's, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, we need those foundations shaken. Um, that's been such a weird meme for our city this week. Um, so uh, the jailer is very different than Lydia right? Lydia uh, is the type of person that you might expect at this point uh, for God's Spirit to include it. If you've been reading the book of Acts, you've, you've seen God's Spirit include the centurion who it says was a righteous man and who was faithful and who believed in God and who, whose faith was renowned in his community, right? Um, uh, you might expect Lydia to be included who, even though she's a Gentile, she has means, she has influence, and yes, she's righteous and she's faithful and she's leading this group of women in prayer at the river. But then we get to this jailer, and this jailer is, who is he? We don't know his name. We don't know his story. We know that he didn't bother to clean their wounds when they were put in prison. Uh, we know that he, when he is scared, uh, the, the phrase he uses is, uh, what must I do to be saved? And Luke is using that kind of for a double purpose, double meaning, right? We hear that and we think of theological right. salvation. Like, what do I need to do to, to experience, you know, heaven? The, the, the prison <laughs> jailer is not thinking that. He's thinking, there is some God that I have hacked off who is about to kill me. What do I need to do to be saved from death, right? Yeah. It is this self-preservation exclamation, not any thoughts about eternal yeah. life or anything like that. And so this jailer, I'm going to posit, is not a good person, Right? He's not this righteous man. He's not someone that the community looks up to. He was a retired military professional who found a job that he did. He did the bare minimum he could. He wasn't necessarily the most compassionate guy ever. He wasn't others-oriented. He experiences this and just goes, God, how do I, how do I not die? You know? and, and yet God is willing to meet him in that space yeah. of self-preservation, of doing the bare minimum, of not really thinking about anything other than what he needed to do to get through his day. And God met this unnamed jailer, this person you might not expect, and, and includes him. And his whole family gets baptized, right? He's the other side of the coin with Lydia. You've got two households being baptized. You've got two hearts being, being turned by God. And one of them you might expect, and the other one you certainly don't, right? Um, I think it's important to have the jailer in here, in this story. Because if all this chapter was about was Lydia, we might have a different story we told today as the church. We might think we're a different kind of people meant to include a certain type of people. I find that churches, when they talk about reaching outsiders, re reaching beyond their walls, usually we're talking about bringing in more folks that look like us and folks that are good people. 
the folks that don't challenge us too much, folks that are polished up and walk and talk like Jesus even though they've never known him, right? Uh, that's who we want to reach out to. Let's, let's evangelize the already discipled, right? <laughs> that's great. That builds God's kingdom, right? And here's this guy, this jailer, who is just a normal person, nothing special, who's got his own faults, his own brokenness, his own sins, and, and yet he's included, and his family's included, and his heart is changed. He, he, he binds up the wounds. He cleans the wounds of Paul and Silas. Do you, do, you, do you see the imagery of Jesus washing feet in that, right? Like how quickly he's learning to live the Jesus life. And, and, and both of these people, Lydia and this unnamed jailer, they are examples of God's mission bringing very different people together around a common cause, People that we, it's like this chapter just ratchets up again and again. You think you understand who God's here for? No, 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 no. God's here for the prisoners that we don't even hear about. God's for the jailer who doesn't really care. God is here for everybody. Um, it's interesting to me, too, the miracles on display in this chapter, because it's not the story I would have written, right? As you're hearing the story unfold, you're thinking, you know, Okay, oh, so uh, the, the, these, these uh, bad guys earlier, they're bringing them before the magistrates, and, and now God's going to show up, and everyone there's going uh, to have their hearts changed because God's going to win this fight against uh, these, these two guys. Um, no. And then, and then you think, oh, I know what's going to happen. They're in this innermost cell in shackles, and God's going to release Paul and Silas because they're good. And then, no, God releases everybody. And then you go, oh, I know what's going to happen. God, God's going to bring judgment upon this jailer because he was so uncaring. And, yeah. and then, no. And, and, and it, it reminds me, um, I'm thinking of someone who, who is always looking for a fight, and I want a God who will win my fights for me, right? Um, anybody else like to win fights? Anybody who else love to have the, you know, the bad guy get their due, right? I love that. I love that because I'm never the bad guy, right? I love that story because I'm, I'm always the good guy in my story, right? And yet I'm reminded reading this that Jesus did not come just to win fights, right? The fight could have been won several verses earlier, but Jesus did not come just to win fights. Jesus came to win hearts. Yeah. And when we forget that as the church, and when we forget that as Christians, we, we do Jesus a disservice, and we do our faith a disservice, and, and we are not living as the full disciples we could. Jesus did not come just to win fights. Jesus came to win hearts. The story would be so different if the jailer and his family had not been saved. Yeah. It would have been a lesser story. A um, couple of things you said. It just When you're thinking about people, we want people to look just like us that are coming into the church. We don't want to have, um, we don't want to bring anyone that's risky that right. maybe disrupts or makes us uncomfortable or maybe challenges or asks hard questions. And going back to when um, Paul and Silas are first arrested, you know, the magistrates, all them, you know, they're uncomfortable that they're different and that they're disrupting their community. They're disrupting yeah. things. Um, and so the, the way to get rid of them is, is to lock them up or put them away or push them out. Don't, don't give them the voice. And, um, and that's not what... God wants, I think God wants a lot of different voices. God wants a lot mm. of people that have different experiences and different perspectives. And we don't have to believe all exactly the same, but God still is going after everyone. And I, I just, it just reminds me not to be scared by people that are maybe a little bit different or maybe a lot different. Yeah. Um, because sometimes we just get so, we live in such a bubble and we're missing out on God's kingdom because um, God's kingdom is wide and there's, there's richness. There's in richness that. to it. And yeah. So yeah. 
And of course, so the chapter ends, they, they get released from, or they, they, obviously God releases them from prison. Um, they go back to the same magistrates, and Paul says, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. Booyah. Uh, which is like a big <laughs> deal, because that means he should have been afforded the privileges of a trial and, and a verdict. And so the magistrates are like freaking out because they realize they've done something really, really bad. And so um, because they're such good people, they basically quietly shush him out of the city and like, don't come back, basically, right? Um, and so they go, uh, Paul and Silas go and spend another evening at Lydia's house. And by this point, what I love about this is the language has changed. It says, um, after leaving the prison, they went to Lydia's home. And when they, had seen an, when they had seen and encouraged the brothers and sisters, right, not Lydia's family, not Lydia's household, but the brothers and sisters there, they departed. And, and maybe I'm reading between the lines a little too much, but I think that language there is intentional. And what it suggests is that already this Christian community is growing beyond Lydia's house. Yeah. That all, even while they were in prison, God's spirit is working and the Philippian church is growing there in Lydia's home. Yeah, it's like women get things done well, or something. You know, all right. It's weird. One clap. Awesome. Good. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, this story, you know, just in general, when you're reading the Bible, um, you know, look at every word. Look at every little thing and, and try to imagine what, again, what happens before, what happens after. I wonder what that person's story looked like after. It just it makes the Scripture alive. Um, and so don't be afraid to dig deep because, again, what this is maybe 20 verses and so much happened in it. So much happens. And, um, and I think it's just easy to skip over, like Scott said, especially the Lydia part or, or the jailer, just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, um, again, I just want to go over. So this whole this story, Paul receives a vision, goes to Philippi. Lydia is moved by God to receive the gospel. Her whole house is baptized. Paul casts out a demon in Jesus' name. There's an earthquake. Foundation crumbled. Chains broken. Prisoners and jailer receive the gospel. Jailer's whole house baptized. Um, and the Christian community already grown within days. Like all of this happened <laughs> in this short story. And, and so the Bible is rich. The Bible is rich. There's so much to glean from it. And so um, as Lent is coming up, we encourage you to, to read it and uh, and don't just blow past certain verses, but kind of look into it a little bit deeper and, and all of that. So. And when, when I take this, this whole story together, uh, what comes out to me is as Reagan's sort of listening to that litany of all that takes place in this, you know, 20, 30 verses of chapter 16, is that all of these, all of these events in this story, they are all spirit-driven, right? They are mm -hmm. all God-moved. None of this is, if you notice, it even makes point of saying Lydia's heart was moved not by Paul's words or eloquence, right, but by God's spirit. God, it's God who releases the prisoners. It's God who changes the heart of Lydia and the jailer. It's God, obviously, who's active in baptism. It's God who is growing this Christian community while Paul and Silas, these great evangelists, are locked away in prison cells, right? And, and, and what, what amazes me about this story and why I'm thankful that it's in the book of Acts, the book of Acts has this running theme that, that chapter 16 really epitomizes, that um, as they're making the case for this Jesus movement, as they're making the case that this is the faithful approach to following God, the, the point they're trying to make, the point that Luke is trying so hard to underscore 18 times is that this is not a human movement. 
This is not something that a group of guys dreamed up and thought would be a good idea. This is not something that they've worked really hard at to make accomplish. When you look at the book of Acts as a whole, it's the Holy Spirit that descends at Pentecost and gives them the gifts. It's the Holy Spirit that's working through them and allowing them to perform miracles. It's the Holy Spirit of God that is at work in all of these chapters and all of these verses. And all that Paul and Silas and Peter and all the others can do is try out of breath to keep up. Right? They're constantly just trying to keep up with the way in which God's Spirit is moving. You know, human movements don't last, right? It's election season right now. How many of us are, are voting in the Whig Party primary? Right? Nobody. You hadn't thought about the Whig Party since you were in high school or junior high and you learned about it in the history book. Human movements don't last. Right? Uh, Trumpism, democratic socialism, I don't care what political stance you, you're aligning yourself with right now. Human movements... Don't last. The book of Acts is not calling us to a human movement. If the church is nothing but a bunch of people getting together and thinking real hard and working real hard and trying to do what we think is best, we will fail. That's what the book of Acts is trying to say so very clearly. If you think this is about you and your good brain and your good works, this is going to fail because human movements don't last. But a God-inspired movement, a spirit-driven movement, where you make space for God to work, where you notice the women by the river, where you pray and ask for God to shake foundations and to open prison cells, when you are ready to receive not just the highly influential and wealthy, but also the just trying to make it through the day and, and, yeah. and normal Joe Blow. When you're ready for that kind of a movement, oh man, just wait and see what God will do. That's, I think, the kind of movement that God is calling us back to right now. That's the kind of movement I think that we need to be here at Lover's Lane. That's what, I imagine that's what you see and one reason you're here too. So, oh man, now I'm getting worked up. I've said all I need to. Yeah. United we love. United we love. So, thank you guys for following us on a little journey through Acts 16 this week. Um, we're going to now transition. Normally we, we, we would pray, but since we're both already up here, I guess we'll just stay up here. Yeah. Uh, we're going we're gonna to move now into our time of responding to God's word um, through uh, a couple different ways. And the first of those is through an offering. And then we're going to talk about what's happening in the life of the church, and then we're going to send us on our, on our way with a blessing. Um, okay. And so uh, today, as, as we're uh, preparing to receive uh, the offering, um, I just want to say uh, how grateful I am for this church and for its witness. You know, tonight, uh, Stan is hosting a town hall here in this space. Um, and I hope that you'll be able to attend. We do have child care available for that, and we'll say a word about that in just a moment. Uh, and it's a town hall specifically about the future of our denomination uh, and this thing called the protocol, uh, which is getting a lot of, of airplay right now and, and, and looks to be um, the most viable path forward for us as a denomination to what we say amicably separate uh, and to bless one another as we go and pursue God in our own ways. Um, and I, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm proud of this church, and I'm proud of our pastor, um, Stan. You know, he was gone this whole last week in Oklahoma City doing a lot of important work, and I'll let him talk about that uh, this evening. But suffice it to say um, that the living witness of this place, uh, when you walk inside these walls, or even when you meet people outside these walls who are part of this family of faith, um, the richness of diversity that we have here. Uh, not just in what we look like or where we come from, but in what we believe and how we live and, and how we follow after the heart of God. The richness of our diversity is a living testimony to what the church can be, right? 
What we have here should not work. When I showed up here 10 years ago to be a part-time staffer in the kids' ministry, I had every assumption in my brain of what I thought Lover's Lane was going to be. And every one of them was dashed within five minutes of being on this campus. Um, And so I want to say thank you for the ways in which you've allowed this place to to exist through your generosity. And more than that, I want to say thank you for how you live as a living testament uh, to what the church can be. When I talk about with passion the kind of church that the book of Acts is lifting up. It's because I see it here, and I see it in all of you. And it is through our our giving, not just financially, but also with our time, with ourselves, with our own personal witness to our friends and family, um, that allows what happens here uh, to happen. And it influences not just what happens in the zip code or in the city, but I'm telling you, the story of Lover's Lane goes far. People know what's happening here, and they look to this church as a light on a city on a hill. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, At, oh, so oh, are you go going to handle the technical? Sure. Will you please? Um, yeah, I got, all, I got, I got so, sermonizing again. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. We've, uh, if you've been here, we've been um, rolling out our new online giving, um, and, and it's so easy. So if you um, text LLUMC to 77977, um, it's the easiest way to transfer your money if you want to do um, reoccurring gifts, all of that. Um, I want to encourage you today. Um, so we've got Taste of Africa um, at noon um, in Watson Hall. Um, and many of us maybe not be able to go, but we encourage you t- to go to Heart of, Heart of Africa service after this and, and stay for lunch. Um, but if you can't go, today's lunch is specifically to raise funds for their students to go on mission trips. So if you... Do 77977 to LLUMC um, or nope. other way. Other way around. Um, don't turn a text to word. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Uh, you can L-A-M-C drop down and, and donate to Heart of Africa. Um, and it can be $5, it can be 20 it can be whatever. But I'm telling you, it is so easy. Um, and it's a way that um, basically for us to continue to be, to be faithful, to be um, an active participant in what God, again, what God is doing. And so we invite you. Um, to use that system, become familiar with it. It's really easy. It's like Venmo, practically. And so um, I just, I love it. It's so easy to give. You can do it in about five seconds. And of course, you can still give in worship. Um, yes. So whatever way is most comfortable for you. So especially if you're um, watching online, if you're streaming, um, this is a, a, a really easy way uh, to give since you're not here. Yeah. So, so yeah. Reagan, will you pray for offering this Sure. Um, God, we thank you so much for uh, today's message. Um, for just the scripture. We could have probably just read it and, and talked about it, uh, just looked at it and read it over and over again and, and gotten a lot out of it. Um, because um, the way that your spirit moves, the way that you invite people is incredible. And we're so humbled and grateful that you look upon us, each and every one of us, and say, I believe in you, I have called you, uh, and I'm going to send you out. May you uh, bless today's gift. May they go out build the kingdom. May they open up prison doors. May they break chains. May um, they look uh, or be a part of looking at someone saying, you are worthy and you are sacred and you are beloved by God. Thank you, God, for your word, for the way that your spirit moves, and may we run fast to keep up with it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.